0: You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Good morning. Welcome to Embassy. How are we doing? Good? Um, If you haven't noticed... um, we're Well, maybe you didn't notice. I don't notice these things. So if they didn't tell me, I wouldn't have noticed. But we are we're, we're kind of tempoed down our uh, worship a little bit. Um, usually in this building, another church plant actually meets Hope Presbyterian. You might have saw their signs coming in. Uh, and they were super gracious to us to um, to actually move. They usually meet where our kids are back there. Um, they're downstairs right now. So it's kind of a cool thing, though. you got these two local churches that are just gathering that, that aren't uh, maybe mature enough to purchase their own building and found their own place um you know Derek's kind of analogy of we're both kind of still living in mama's basement uh, we'd love to move out of mama's basement soon um and so we'll see how good I preach on sacrificial generosity and you'll just open up your checkbooks and write a big one um no I'm just kidding but not really but really but not really um, but but um, they're not in here, but I, I mean, as a way to honor them, I'm super, super thankful for Hope Prez um, being generous and just sharing their space. They were crazy accommodating. So um, thank you, Hope Prez. Um, so uh, I, I do want to kind of put some more meat on those bones of what we're going to go after uh, at least more this summer and the fall. Um, you know, there, there's some awesome things about being the church plant. I've said this before. But one of the things I love about being a church plant is you really have to strip it down, right? Where You strip it down to go, what is the church, you know? Uh, and the church is a people. It's, a, it's not a place. It's, it's us. We are the church, the people of God. Um, and we believe that, man, when we gather together, um, man, especially on the Lord's Day, on a Sunday, that, that God is here, and, and um, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, but what I would love uh, is, is for one day to move out of Mama's basement in the sense that, Um, So much of what Embassy Church has been able to accomplish has been because of the sacrificial generosity of those outside of us, okay? Uh, Outside giving, people um, that you'll never meet, honestly. People back in Louisiana where I spent a lot of my life um, and have a lot of connection with, people in Iowa, people all over the place, um, that um, yeah, you'll never know their names, but um, God does. And uh, they wanted to be a part of what God would do in the city and, frankly, what God would do in your life. Uh, which should just really humble you because it humbles me uh, that people have been so generous from the outside. Um, but when we talk about moving out of mama's basement, what I want to do is, um, is kind of stand on our own two feet, right? This is what we're going to push you college students to do. Like, it's great that mom and dad help pay for rent and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But but man, the greatest way you can honor your parents one day is to, to pay your own bills, you know? Uh, and it's no different in a church plant. Like, the greatest way that we can honor those from the outside that have been generous to us is to pay our own bills, to have 100% of our monthly expenses um, coming from inside giving, not outside. And so um, we'll talk more about that as we move into the summer and into the fall, but I would love for that to be true of Embassy Church at the end of 2023. Um, for us to be standing on our own two feet, if you will, self-sustaining, and move from being a church plant to an established church in that regard. And so um, we're doing some intentional things, and you'll hear more about that as we go on. Um, So what I want to do this morning is um, is kind of part two of our value sermon series on sacrificial generosity. Um, We talked about this two weeks ago, um, but but. We have five values here at Embassy, and, and we really talk about them in identity, okay? Um, our, our values at Embassy aren't what we do, um, they're, they're how we do what we do, okay? Our mission drives us, but, but our values really fuel that. And so they should be what you taste, uh, what you smell here when you come in. Um, you know, they, they just kind of flavor, um, if you will, coat everything that we do. Uh, and, and you'll hear us talk about them not just as values but as identities. Because when we really um, inhabit these values, um, they, they're really distinct, man. It's a powerful thing. And I, I really would love for Embassy Church um, to be distinct in our context for all the right reasons. You know, for people that are part of embassy, um, people that are ambassadors, if you will, to go, man, like that that person's different. That community's different. And they really do live these things out. Like a, a watching world should see and take notice to how embassy is different because of what the gospel has done in our hearts uh, and in our minds and changing us. And so uh, ultimately, you'll hear me talk about it this way, and I'm going to say it fast. Actually, Maria, Maria might have made a slide, but she said I said it too fast um, two weeks ago. But if you're a note taker... Um, I want us to be a gospel-gazing, food-sharing, self-giving, legacy-leaving, front-porch-waving kind of people, okay? Um, As we inhibit or or, or really live out these values of gospel perspective, of family identity, of sacrificial generosity, of next-generation focus and ends-of-the-earth ambition, um, it should change our identity, okay? And there's word pictures there. I don't have time to unpack them all, Um, but... um, what I want to unpack this morning is this, this self-giving idea, this sacrificial generosity idea. Um, and again, we did this two weeks ago, and I looked at an individual picture, or we did, in Luke 18 and 19. Okay? An individual picture of what this looks like. And this morning, I want to look at a, a community picture. Um, what does it take to be a generous community? Right? That's the question I really want us to answer. Like, wh- What makes a community generous? Like, If that really was a distinctive for us, if being an ambassador meant that, like, we were self-giving, what would that look like, okay? Um, and, and I don't know a single person that, that doesn't think generosity is just, like, a, an altruistic great value to have, right? I've never met anybody that's like, no, that's not something I want to really embody, right? Christian or non-Christian is like, yeah, generosity, good thing, right? You're tracking with me. It's like, yeah, I want to be more generous. But how do we get there? Um, and, and I think if we're honest... Um, generosity is something that, that we can really maybe grab a hold of and go, yeah, I affirm that and I, I, I think I am that. in um, a really kind of conceptual idea, but when the rubber meets the road and it comes to concrete acts, um, are we a generous community and, and how do we become that um, if we want to get there, okay? So what makes a generous community? How do we get there? Um, what would it take, you know, maybe another way to say it, what would it take for us to be known that way in this city, you know? What would it take for us to be known that way in this city? So um, if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This passage extends to chapter 9 as well, Um, but but what we're going to get in, and we're just going to look at the first 15 verses of chapter 8, is this picture, a communal picture of a sacrificially generous community. And and similar to what we did two weeks ago, I'm I'm actually giving us two pictures that juxtapose one another um, because they they really stand in stark contrast and it's the differences in these two communities that that we really need to key in on, okay? Uh, In Luke 18 and Luke 19, we got this picture of this rich young ruler and then of Zacchaeus and and Luke really intentionally puts them right next to each other and you see the contrast of these, these rich leaders in their community that, that are completely different when it, on a heart level. And we're going to see a similar thing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, and, and what's so, so neat about this picture is um, these two communities are convictionally similar. Okay, they're both churches. Okay, so like doctrine, dogma, like they're all in alignment. Okay, um, and they're culturally similar. They're both Greek churches. They're, there's northern Greece, Macedonia, and southern Greece, Achaia. Okay. This is um, Berea, Thessalonica, these, these kind of cities that, that Paul planted churches in in northern Greece, Macedonia, um, in comparison to these cities that Paul planted churches in in southern Greece, Corinth, um, and, uh, and even Athens. Um, you can track in, in Acts um, 16 and 17. Okay? Um, what makes these two communities different um, is their generosity. Okay? It's their heart. Um, there 's a huge distinction between the two, and so that 's why I want to pull out and tease out for us um, so uh, let me give us a little a little more context um, this spring. we were in the book of Galatians, and we were looking at uh, the gospel period and, and this kind of idea that paul 's going at with these churches in the region of Galatia, which is present day turkey asia minor of of, of of, hey, young churches, don't get away from the gospel that I first delivered to you. And so in chapter two of Galatians, if you remember this, um, Paul and Barnabas take a trip to Jerusalem, and they put before the leaders in the church of Judea, James, you know, Peter, John, um, what they're preaching, what they're teaching, to make sure they hadn't run in vain, okay? Y'all remember this scene, chapter two? This is a huge moment in the early church, where the mission to the Gentiles is going forward, and... Now the leaders of that mission, Paul, Barnabas, are going, hey, are we, are we preaching the same gospel? And for the veracity of the, the gospel, it's a big deal. And for the unity of the church, it's a big deal. And, and ultimately, the leaders in the church in Judea, the apostles there, give Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They're like, dude, we're preaching the same gospel. We're going to go to the Jews. You go to the Gentiles. But we're, we're doing it in tandem. God bless. And they don't change anything from Paul's message, but they put one request before him. Do you remember what that request is? Anybody? They, they, they ask him to remember the poor. It's just a little interesting little caveat, and this is, this is in Galatians 2, um, but they ask him to not forget the poor. And it says, Paul writes, he makes every effort to do that. Okay? What we're seeing in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is Paul's effort to remember the poor, and what's awesome is Paul doesn't leave a concept. Paul's not like, man, I'm a generous person conceptually. Very concretely, Paul amongst the Gentile churches raises funds to distribute to the Judean churches because it's the Judean churches that were poor. So it's a call to unity for the church for these rich, wealthy, Greek, Gentile churches in the north to be generous to these poor Jewish churches in the southern part of the Roman Empire in Judea. Are you tracking with that? And so what we're reading here in 8 and 9 is the fulfillment of what you see in Galatians 2 that's always a part of Paul's ministry. So let me read for us. That's a little context. And then we can pull out um, some principles about what makes a generous community. This is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Again, that's northern Greece. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Okay, context, northern churches in Greece, Paul's commending to these southern churches in Greece, and he's almost like playing them off one another, okay, right? This is kind of like what you you do with your kids, not really. You shouldn't do this, but you kind of do. It's like, hey, look, your little sister did that, you know? So you get these these poor churches, which is the exception to the Gentile kind of rule of the Gentile churches being more wealthy than the, the, the Judean churches. These poor churches in Macedonia give this incredible gift, not out of their surplus, but out of their poverty to these Judean churches. And so Paul's pointing it out to the Corinthian church, the churches in Southern Greece and going, man, look what God is doing in their life as evident by their generosity. You tracking? So this is, Now, verse 7. Now, he writes to the Corinthians. He says, As you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace, being generosity. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter, I'm giving advice because it is profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task so that just as there is an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is if that is not there, excuse me, if it is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that they may be, that there may be equality. Just as it is written, the person who had much did not have too much. The person that had, that, excuse me, I am absolutely butchering this. The person that had too little did not have too little. That was really hard. I was quite tongue-tied. All right, so we got two communities, okay? We have the Macedonian church and the Corinthian church. They're similar convictionally. They're similar culturally. But they couldn't be more different from a generosity standpoint. Why? And to make the, the point even more poignant, the more generous of the two communities is the poor one, not the rich one. Now, the Corinthian church, okay, is rich not just in financial wealth, man, but they're gifted. Like if you read the, the New Testament letters, um, I don't know anybody, by the way, that like when you ask them like what their favorite book of the Bible, even if you narrow it down to like New Testament, is like, man, First Corinthians, love it, you know. It's usually like Ephesians, that's a nice one. There's no rebukes in there, you know. It's just kind of like calm all the way through. It's like, yeah, that's inspiring, right. But you read First Corinthians, you're like, whoa, you know, these people are messed up. They are, they are, aren't we all? Recovering sinners, amen? Okay, um, but the Corinthian church is gifted, right? Like that, this is what, what the famous chapters of, of, of 12, 13, and 14 are all about. It's like, Corinthians, you got all these gifts, but no unity, right? It's just a, a gifted church, a wealthy church, but man, they are inward focused and they are fractured. And by comparison, you have this Macedonian church, that's, that's poor, and not only are they poor, they're under extreme persecution. And so this poor, persecuted church completely outshines this wealthy, gifted church in their generosity. Why? How? So I want to look at that picture, okay? So um, why a generous community gives, all right? So I'm going to give us the why, the what, and the how. And, you know, what makes a generous community, Okay. Um, A a generous community gives because it's been given to. Now, I want you to notice this um, in in our passage, but it goes all the way throughout chapter 9 as well. Um, The idea of grace is key here. And it's actually mentioned 10 times in some form in these two chapters. Okay, look at verse 1. Obviously, we see the grace of God given to Macedonians. It's like, yeah, I get this, right, God's grace. And we kind of have a framework for that, don't we? In spiritual terms, it's like God's grace, God's undeserved favor, on the Macedonian churches. We we get it in a spiritual sense, but I want you to get how Paul uses that word in the language when it comes to their generosity. Look down at verse 6. What does Paul call the generosity of the Macedonians to the Judean churches? He calls it an act of grace. Okay, so get this. Paul is really intentionally tethering God's grace to these Christians and these Christians' grace and very tangible generosity to these other Christians, okay? It's both an act of grace. It's undeserved, it's unmerited giving, right? So this is a powerful idea because clearly the Macedonian Christians, man, they get the grace of God. They understand it to a depth, to a level that I would say the Corinthian Christians don't. And it's shown in a very tangible way. Again, we we all like the conceptual idea of being generous, and every person in here, I guarantee you, you go, man, I'm a generous person. But what does it look like with your checkbook, right? This is when it gets a little uncomfortable, right? Because I don't want to look really closely at that. And well, I share other things, you know. And I think it's so powerful to look at a passage like this and see a community that didn't have a lot, that was under severe persecution. And the grace that God, or excuse me, that the Apostle Paul is pointing to is their generosity, in spite of all that, to these Judean Christians. And they're begging Paul for the privilege to be a part of being generous to meeting needs of their brothers and sisters. Very tangible, very finite needs. Another way to say it is is the visible mark of, of a heart that has received God's grace are the hands that give it. Because right? grace, is, is, it's hard to see, right? It's, it's hard to understand. It's a very like ethereal thing. And so you can, you can flip it backwards, man. How, how does my heart really grasp the grace of God? Well, the, the depth of my understanding of the grace of God can be seen in how I extend grace very tangibly with my hands, how I'm generous with my time, with my talent, with my treasure. Those things are tethered. Paul's tethering these things, and, and we do well not to miss that. So why does a a generous community give? A generous community gives because they realize they've been given to. Or or maybe to ask it this way, what do your hands tell you about your heart? It's good to sit in it. What do my hands tell me about my heart? Do do, do my hands or my my lack of generosity say that I think I'm a self-made man? That I got where I'm at because I worked harder than everybody else around me? Really? Really, you worked harder than everyone else around you? Man, I've been in some places around the world, and I've seen some hard workers way harder than me. And I, I want to be a hard worker. But, goodness gracious, can we not admit that all that we have <laughs> is because of the generosity of the Lord in our life? And when we start to see that, when we start to really understand the grace of God in our lives, it frees us to be generous people, okay? That's why a community gives. What about what a generous community gives? And this is key. I don't want us to miss this. A generous community uh, ultimately is a community that first gives self over stuff. That first gives self over stuff. What do I mean? Um, look at verse 5, okay? Uh, this is 2 Corinthians 8, 5. Look at how it's phrased. It says this. It says, not just as we hope for. Instead, this is the Apostle Paul kind of framing up how the Macedonian Christians gave. Instead, they gave themselves first. To the Lord. They gave themselves and then to us by God's will. Okay? Um, man, the admonition in this passage is that we shouldn't confuse material wealth and spiritual wealth. Because if there's any community that's material wealthy, it's, it's these Corinthian Christians, right? If you understand even where Corinth is, it makes sense. Okay, if you look at southern Greece, Corinth sits next to the canal of Corinth. That connects the Ionian to the Aegean Sea. So this is a port city that controlled the means for ships, right? Think about the Panama Canal, if you will, okay? Um, That controlled the means to to not make ships go all the way around the peninsula of southern Greece. And so that, that city had money. This church had money. They were materially wealthy, but Paul's pointing out their spiritual poverty, and he's doing it in a way that's almost, again, comparing like older brother, younger brother, older sister, younger sister going like, hey, you should be challenged by your northern neighbors. Look how they're being generous. In a way, he's almost like wanting to make them jealous. Um, golly, they gave of themselves. Um, they, were, they were spiritually, they might have been materially poor, but they were spiritually rich, okay. Um, it, it makes me think, like, we, we see the outside, right, as human beings, um, and, and we, see, we see material. We don't see spiritual, okay? But it's God that sees the heart. And, and I think a lot of times, um, again, we don't know hearts, okay? But, but where we think people um, maybe are driving a Denali or wearing Gucci, if you will, um, on a material kind of level, on a spiritual level... I mean, maybe this is the case for you. Like, that person's driving a dinker, right, and wearing goodwill. Like, we, we can't see it. But, but if we were to, to look at these two communities, we'd go, man, it's the Corinthian church driving a Denali and wearing Gucci, right? The Macedonian church, they're shopping a goodwill, they're driving a dinker. But how God sees those two churches is literally the, the, the opposite, right? He sees the spiritually rich Macedonians giving of themselves, And he sees the Corinthians as spiritually impoverished. And they had more material wealth, but it had such a hold on them, they they, they weren't free enough to even give it away. And as you see later in the passage, they had a desire to. Their heart was in the right place. They wanted to, okay? Look at verse 11. They had an eager desire, but, but they didn't do anything about it. It's like, hey, yeah, I'd like to. I'll sign the pledge card. Skip out. Right? That's what's going on here. And so Paul, again, in his loving way, uh, is challenging just the hold that material wealth had on this community, okay? Um, when someone is self-giving, stuff follows. When someone is stuff giving self-stays. If you can get to the point where you understand that God has given himself for you and you can give yourself back to God, then, then like, nothing's off the table, is it? Right? It's, it's like, man, if you've given yourself to the Lord, then, like, it ain't your stuff. And that's how the Macedonians, that's the depth to which they understood the gospel. And it was powerful. Uh, I, I want to share a couple of stories um, in line with this. A couple of stories just from, from Embassy. I have so many stories about just the fingerprint of God on this church that, I, honestly, I feel like I, 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 I kind of bottleneck them. And so I try and drip them into different sermons at different times. But... Um, this is probably a year and a half ago now, but and you don't know this person's name, and you never will. Um, but there was a, a couple that Alice and I had been friends with for years, went to high school with, and um, they started showing up at the church I was at in Baton Rouge. I was a college pastor at LSU, and uh, this couple shows up. We knew the wife, didn't know the husband, and they're trying to get back into church, get connected. Um, and honestly, we really didn't know where they were spiritually. Um, man, did they know the Lord? Were they just asking questions? Were they seeking? Um, You know, but they started coming on Sundays, and if we weren't there, they weren't there. You know, we were kind of their tether, and this is about the time when God started to give us a vision to plant another church, another college ministry, another campus, and so um, we end up, you know, moving to Iowa, right, and I just kind of had this nagging kind of just concern for this couple of going, man, I I want God to to work and move in their life, and we were trying to kind of to, to be a bridge for him, to get connected back into church and just to sit under the teaching of the word, but that was all cut short. And so part of this fundraising, or excuse me, this church planning process is fundraising, right? And so I decided to give the, the husband a call one day. And I'm like, man, I'm just going to ask him, you know, if he wants to be a part of what we're doing, planting a new church and new campus ministry and see what he says. So... Uh, ring, ring, call them up. And, and usually I start my fundraising calls. So if you get one of these calls, this is what I'll say to you. Hey, my man, how you doing? I want to talk business, but let's talk personal first. And so we talked personal and then we talked business. And I said, look, this is what we're doing. Um, we have a vision to plan another church like the chapel, which is the church we're at, and another campus ministry like the refuge, which is the college ministry I was leading at the time. Um, but man, it, it takes money. And um, I want to know if you'd want to be a part of that and you'd want to invest in what uh, what we're gonna do. We don't know where we're going. We hadn't picked Bloomington, anything like that. And, um, and so that's my pitch. And then I'm like, bro, I'll follow back up in a couple weeks. Now, again, I, I, I don't know where this person's at spiritually, but I, I go, man, I'm just gonna invite them into the process. And it's a way for me to keep relationship and, and tether. And so two weeks go by, um, ring, ring, call them back. And, um, you know, we connect. And I just said, hey, I wanted to follow up on my ask. Uh, what do you think? A little silence, right? This is when you just kind of be quiet, you know? You want to keep talking, but you don't, and you just listen. And he said, um, sounds great. What do you need? Do you need ongoing, you know, gifts, something in, in the recurring sense, or, or what about one time? And my answer to that is always like, you know, whatever works for you. Um, people give differently, and so if, if monthly is good for you, great, uh, on a recurring basis, or if you just want to give a one-time launching gift, great. And he said, okay, well, um, I think we can do $1,500 a month monthly. $1,500 a month monthly, that makes sense. Um, to which I said, dude, sounds great. Thank you so much. And I was just like crazy blown away that he wanted to give a one-time gift of $1,500. I hang up the phone. I started writing a thank you note. And then I realized he didn't say one time he said monthly. And so then I'm stuck, right? Because I don't know what he said. <laughs> Cuz I think he said monthly, but but then I also think he said 1500. And 1500 doesn't go with monthly. 1500 goes with one time. You know, 150 goes with monthly kind of thing, right? And I don't even know if this person is a believer. And so I'm stuck. What do I do here? Do I call this person back at the risk of offending him because he actually does say $1,500 one time and I make him feel bad. And so I'm like, dude, I I don't know what to do here. You know, I got, I like, I got to just eat crow and call him back. And so I pick up the phone, call him back and, and I go, yo, um, I don't want to embarrass you. Um, take this as embarrassment on me. I wasn't listening well, but can you say what you said again? You know, just kind of left it there, you know. Um, second when forget somebody's name, and you're like, "This is, like, please." And he said, "Dude, uh, yeah, we can do1,500 dollars a month." And I, I obviously just like fall out of my chair, and gush. Um, I run around <laughs> uh, in circles in my office, and then that office was too small, so I run around the building, and I had to tell someone I was so like pumped that I broke into the elder meeting at Cornerstone and was like, I am so sorry, and this is absolutely inappropriate, but you just got to hear the conversation I just had. And, and for two reasons. One, um, how generous it is. And I mean, um, to this date, this is the most generous person in the life of embassy. Besides other churches, just individual. Um, I mean, again, you're not gonna know this person's name, but in the last year, he's given $40,000. Again, I, I didn't know where this person was, but, but more than the money, it was the heart behind the gift. Because you know what it told me? Man, that's a heart that's been touched by grace. Right? Those hands aren't that generous that that heart hasn't been affected by grace. And so I'm, look, I'm, I'm thinking about this story, right? And I'm, going, I'm thinking about Zacchaeus. I'm going, man, that's somebody. And so I asked him the question before I got off the phone. Like, bro, you got you to fill me in. Like, why so generous? He said, bro, if it wasn't for you and your wife... We would have never, ever reconnected with the Lord. And I can't tell you what it's done for my marriage. And the thought of being able to provide for other people in another city what you provided for us in these few short months, I can't imagine giving to anything else. Amen. Right? You can clap for that. That's somebody whose heart has been touched by grace. Okay? And has given themselves to the Lord and and couldn't wait for the opportunity to be generous to that extent. This, this is, uh, I'm actually going to tell a story about us, not in, in, a, in a braggadocious way, in any way, shape, or form. Um, but when I think about this church planning journey for us, you know, for me and Allie, um, man, when we started to sense this call to plan a next generation focused church in another college town, um, you can't just do that kind of like one foot in, one foot out, you know? It's like all or nothing, And so in the best way, um, people ask us all the time, are you going to be here forever? Are you going to, you know, plant a church in West Lafayette or Butler? I'm like, look, we're here um, for the next 20 years if that's what it takes for us to plant the kind of church that we envision, uh, that we dream about, okay? So what we had to process through um, and we thought was appropriate, especially because we asked people to move their lives with us, is um, what it looked like for our kids to graduate from high school here. And so I don't know what tomorrow will bring, let alone 20 years from now, but emotionally we had to go there. Um, and so we were looking at high schools before our kids ever started kindergarten, you know, when we came to this town. And giving of ourselves to this vision and what God's called us to had a way of, uh, of even for me and Allie, of opening our hands. Um, and, and so we had people like this couple that were crazy generous from the outside. Uh, lots of other people have been crazy generous. But I remember talking to Allie and just going, "Hey, look, I want to, I want to give to Embassy uh, more than like normal." And she's like, "Okay, what are you thinking?" I'm like, "I want to give the biggest gift we could ever have and, and and ever could give to Embassy." And she's like, "Well, do we need it?" And I was like, "No, but I don't want to miss out on it, right?" And so, so the the way I want to uh, the way I thought about it at least, and and I want to frame it to you is. Um, because this is my pitch to every single person I've, I've ever asked money for. is like, I don't think you're going to find a better kingdom investment than what God's doing in this church plant and on that campus through our college ministry. And so the thought of missing out, if you will, on the pre-seed funding round and not getting in on the front end, I was like, I, I, I don't want to miss out on that. Not because we do or don't need the money. Like, what a blessing to us. Me and Allie were only able to have those kind of conversations because of the self-giving place that the spirit got us to where we gave ourselves to this mission and then it made us start talking about our money very differently right like like what if i came to you and said hey well let me transport us back because i, I went to college from 2005 to 2009 okay um kind of old uh kind of not i'm kind of in the in-between i'm young 30s 34 um allison's old 30s, 30. she's 35 um when I went to college, you had to have a.edu email address to get on Facebook. That was a big deal. It was a real big deal, you know? Right? That was when actually, like, MySpace actually was competing with Facebook. If you don't know what MySpace is, you realize who won, okay? But, like, it was a big deal that we got, you know, ccook8 at lsu.edu, not because we got into college, but because we got to get on Facebook, you know? And, like, if you go look at the pictures now, they're like five pixels. You know, I look like Mario or something like that in my first Facebook picture. Um, Anyway, if I would transport you back to 2005 and go, hey, look, I'm trying to raise some startup capital funding, you know, Series A, if you will, for Facebook, you want to buy in? Do you think you'd buy in? Absolutely, right? You're like, are you kidding me? Getting in on the front end of that stuff? No doubt. And again, I'm not just trying to toot the embassy horn. Uh, This is how I want us to to think about sacrificial generosity is just kingdom investment. Like what does your portfolio look like? When you get to the end of your days, I know you got your your material portfolio and hopefully you got Facebook in there or Microsoft or Apple or all that kind of stuff. Look, the NASDAQ's down, what, where are we at? 28% or something. Uh, Maybe worse than that. Buying a dip, you know. Um, But... What about your spiritual portfolio? What are the things that God's doing that you can join in and be a part of? Are you thinking that way? And if you're not, man, I I really hope that you do. I hope that at the end of your days you go, man, these are the church plants. These are the ministry opportunities. These are the, the things going on in our community, in this city. And the ability to be on the front end and give material dollars for kingdom gain that's what a generous community does. That's what the Macedonian church is doing, and it's a powerful thing. Last but not least, how does a generous community give? I, I don't want you to miss this, but, but Paul all throughout this is talking about um, giving what you got. Right? He, he applauds the Macedonians who, who give beyond their ability. Look what he says in verse 3. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond it, and of their own accord, they gave. But even when he's talking to the Corinthians, man, he's, he's challenging, but he's kind. And he's going, guys, I want to applaud your desire. You want to give, but you haven't started. Let me, let me help you. All right? And, and that's what tracks through in chapter 9 where he's, he's having Titus kind of organize or help organize this gift to bring to the Judean churches to go, Hey, your brothers and sisters in Christ in the Greek world see you. They see your poverty. They see your need. And they want to bless you. And it's a powerful thing. I had a, um, I had a mentor once that would always say this. He'd say, um, and I, I think it holds true with giving. You see, say, start where you're at. All right, so this is my encouragement to you if, um, if man, that, that, that's, a, that's a desire of yours but not a practice. Start where you're at. Do what you can, okay? Start where you're at. Do what you can and give what you got. If you start where you're at, you do what you can, you get what you got. Okay, God's gonna do things through through you, right? God's gonna God's gonna move in such a way that He might bring you somewhere you've never been before. He might give you what you never had before, and He might help you do what you've never done before. But the, the important thing is just getting going. And so I'll tell one other quick story of of, a, of another powerful kind of just giving. Um, fundraising thing is, is I was down in Louisiana and, and there's this, this gal that's totally tracking with, with what I'm, what I'm putting out there. And she comes up to me after her and she goes, man, I just felt so moved by, by y'all's vision and I want to be a part of it. Okay. Um, and clearly God's doing something in her life. And so I said, well, I'd love to, to meet, but I got to get back home. And so can I, can we jump on a call? We jump on a call a couple weeks later and, um, the tone had changed a little bit, you know? And so it was, um, it was almost super apologetic. of like, man, I, I want to move and be a part of this launch team thing because my ask was, man, be a goer or be a giver. And um, I don't think I can do that anymore. And I'm like, well, that, that sounds fine. Well, what, what's God speaking to you? What do you feel like you need to do? And she's like, well, well, I, I want to be a giver. I said, well, that sounds great. What are you thinking? She starts like obfuscating, really apologizing. And she's like, well, I think I can give I can give $50 a month. To which I'm like, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And then she's shocked by my response, right? Because she feels, she feels really bad. Um, this is a young professional, um, very affluent, very wealthy. I said, can I ask you a more personal question? Why do, why do you seem to be so timid about offering your gift? She says, well, honestly, I feel bad at how small it is, number one. And, and number two, I've never, ever given back to God. So I was able to just sit on the phone with her for about five minutes and just affirm her, just encourage her, just her heart for getting started, for being generous to God's purposes. And after, like, she's literally in tears on the phone thanking me, going, no one has ever asked me or invited me to be generous back to God. And I, I'm so excited to be a part. And again, we hadn't named the church or anything like that, but be a part of what God's going to do through this church plan. Thank you. And so I, I share that little story to say it's not an amount thing, guys, that this passage goes after when it comes to sacrifice and generosity. It's an attitude thing. It's a heart posture, and no matter where you're at, I, I want you um, just to get started, to start where you are um, and, and to, to push to be a more generous person, and for us collectively to push to, to be a more generous community and And the reason is is because. God has been generous to us. I want to end with this. Don't miss what Paul ties all this back to as the motivation. I know it's kind of funny. He's comparing the Corinthians to the Macedonians, and this is like competitive thing that's going on. But look at the true motivation. Look at verse verse 9 where he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. What Paul ultimately ties all this to, what makes a generous person, what makes a generous community, is they understand the gospel. They understand the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ, in his wealth, in his riches, left heaven's throne, came to earth, took the form of a servant, and not even that, even further, died a horrific death on your behalf, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And the reality is when that truth, when that gospel truth seeps deep down into the heart of a person, it changes them. When you understand that that Christ gave himself for you, you give yourself to him. And the material things that you hold on to, they don't have a hold on you anymore. And it actually frees you to be a self-giving kind of person. Only the gospel does this. Only the gospel moves people to give not just out of their surplus, but out of sacrifice. Because they see that God sacrificed for them. It's a powerful, powerful idea that, 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 man, the Macedonian Christians just, they put on display going like, if anybody should be complaining about their status, their struggle, right? I'm poor and I'm persecuted. If anybody had an excuse to not give, it's this Macedonian church. And they're crazy generous. Why? Because the gospel was sweet to them. The gospel was beautiful to them. It seeped down deep into their hearts the fact that God really, literally, quite literally, came to earth and became poor that they might become rich. And so they used their riches to bless and to serve. And they were sacrificially generous. Again, not giving out a surplus, but giving out a sacrifice. I was, I'll actually end with this. I was talking to Derek um, about, about the difference. Um, what was this? Last week, two weeks ago. But um, about the difference of giving out a surplus versus sacrifice, and I want you to think of it this way, because we, we often kind of get it twisted again. We, we, we just see the outside, but if you can't give a dime off a dollar, you'll never give 100000 off a million. It only gets harder when you get wealthier. Okay, this is why with college students, this is why we push this on you. It's like, because it's easy to go, man, I'm a college student, I, I don't have to give, Right? It's like, look, we don't need your money. And frankly, you're not going to give a lot, right? Let's be honest. You need to give. You need to start practicing a discipline of being generous. And that's for everybody in here, right? And so, so even at Salt Company, we'll talk about this with our college students of like, man, what does it look like to give back to the Lord first? Not for his sake, but for yours. So if you can't give a dime off a dollar, um, you're never given 100000 off a million, okay? You're never given $10,000 off 100000 however you want to say that. Um, but I want you to just think comparatively. Like we, we 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 get in all with these celebrities that give these big gifts. You know, it's like man, a whole class of like paying for textbooks and shoes. You know, so let me just run some numbers for you. Um, let's let's call it a, a, a sports star that makes twenty million a year. Okay, twenty million a year, right? Um, and let's say they give a thirty thousand dollar gift. Now that's that's buku bucks. Do people say buku anymore? That's a lot of money. and I'm not trying to minimize the gift, but I want to put it in perspective, okay? Because we stand in awe with amount, okay? And and I think God sees heart um, more than anything. $30,000 off of $20 million, you know what percentage that is? 0.15, not even two-tenths of a percent. So let me translate translate that for you if you make $50,000 a year. If you make $50,000 a year and you want to give 015 That's a $75 gift. And again, my my point is not to minimize the $30,000 or even minimize the $75 gift. My point is to point out that we can get in awe with this massive amount and we can almost go, man, I can't give that, so I'm not going to give. But the bigger point is pushing yourself not to be so inward focused and be a generous person. And that starts with, with receiving the goodness and the grace of God. And it moves itself out in a very tangible way where you're actually working at it. And a lot of times, it's just the discipline that you lean into, right? It doesn't just happen. It's like, man, if we pass the plate, it's like once every four months, you just kind of empty your pockets. And you're like, man, I feel guilty. I might as well just, you know, I'll give a car, you know. But really, where where I want us to start as a church is, is looking at all God's given us and going, man, from the first fruits, from the best of what comes in, How am I giving it back to God? And then I want to invest that intentionally in embassy church. I want to invest that intentionally in some of these other things I get really excited about and to do it consistently and to do it more and more and more ever increasingly. And if we do that as a community, that's a powerful thing. I dream about the day where um, we're a church that, you know, we're bringing in, you know, I'll throw some numbers out there and this, this, this may sound crazy, but I I just think about this this way. The church I left, I'll say it this way, had a, um, I'm going to go with a round number because it'll be easier to do some addition off the fly. The church I left had a $5 million budget. Not really, but close. $5 million budget. At Embassy Church right now, we're giving 15% off the top, okay? We want to, as a community, be generous um, to those outside us. We don't want to be inward-focused. We don't want to be like the Corinthian church. We want to be like the Macedonian church. And and a huge chunk of that goes to this better B-town line where we just want to be generous to our city. Okay? So I want you to imagine a day a few years from now, and I'm going to end with this. Um, the band can come up, where um, God has just blessed this congregation, grown this congregation, um, grown our um, just self-giving, sacrificial generosity kind of identity. And we're we're given $5 million collectively in this pot, right? And 15% of that, just off the top, we're going, adios. That's $750,000, you know? If 5% of that goes to Better B-10, that's a quarter of a million dollars every year that we're looking at our city and going, how do we bless? Like, how cool is that? Like, these are the things I dream about, at least as a pastor, of just, like, giving, again, buku bucks, just... That's just shocking to people. And they go, why? Like, why would a community do that? And I'm not talking just Christian causes. It's like, man, if you're doing things that we think are, are going to make this city flourish, we want to be generous to it. Like, I want to be a part of a church like that, a part of a church that just freely opens their hands and gives. And so it starts with the, um, man, it starts with the gospel being sweet and, and real to us. It starts with the gospel um, just sinking down deep in our hearts, and, but it doesn't stop there it moves out into our hands. And so I really do pray that we're challenged by this Macedonian church. Um, And uh, yeah, that we look more like it as we grow. So let me pray for us. We can close up. We can sing some songs and say all the right things that are right and good and true about King Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you. Um, We thank you for uh, just these pictures of these two churches. Uh, One, a challenge, a warning. Um, The Corinthian church, so wealthy, um, so gifted, so privileged in so many ways, yet, so divided, uh, so broken, so uh, just missing it. And then the Macedonian church, persecuted and poor, yet crazy generous. And I just pray that we'd be a, a church, as Zimbabwe church, we'd be a church more like the Macedonian church. That we would, um, yeah, we'd see the gospel for what it is. That the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, became poor, that in his poverty we might become rich. And that might change us. That would literally, literally change us. And it wouldn't just sit with us in some kind of personal, individual way, but it would um, be transformative in the way that we look out into our city, the way we meet needs, the way that we care for one another, and the way we're generous. So we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for your generosity towards us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.